Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, I'm delighted that you've decided to join us uh, this morning, or maybe it's evening for you if you're listening at the repeat program uh, here on WRWH at 8 p.m. at night on Saturdays, or maybe you're listening as you're commuting to work or coming home from work on our uh, podcast at NewSouthernGarden.com. Of course, you can listen to every episode, every show of the program on the website, NewSouthernGarden.com. And, you know, this time of year, there's a lot of planning to do still. There's a lot of thinking about what we may be putting into our landscapes, especially since we know that as the air temperatures get cooler, the ground temperature stays warm. This is a wonderful time to start planting. And, you know, this uh, this week we had some rain at my garden. I hope you had some rain because October tends to be, historically, our driest month. And here we are about halfway through it. And I, we got an inch of rain on, was it Thursday morning when I checked? Yeah, Thursday morning. It was Wednesday night over uh, the evening. And we had an inch of rain. It was a nice slow rain, I think. I didn't hear it beating down on the roof. I don't think it was a big storm. But when we get an inch of rain like that, just nice, drizzly, slow, and long, and it's nice when it rains overnight because we can wake up in the morning and not have to put on our rain jackets and uh, hold our umbrellas high in the air. It's just wonderful for the plants because that soil was getting dry. Over the week, I was planting a few things in the landscape, and I thought, oh, man, this soil, it's so dry. What are we going to do with the new plants? We had to water them the day we planted them, and then a few days later, I had some rain. So just know that now we're getting in that beginning of planting season. The best time to plant trees and shrubs and really most perennial plants is over fall and winter because, again, The air is much cooler in the fall and winter, but the ground, the soil stays nice and warm, especially if you're using mulch in your beds. That soil is going to uh, be moderated. The temperature is going to be moderated by having a nice, thick, warm blanket of mulch spread across the top of your soil. And so with that in mind, knowing that it's a great time to plant and we're at the beginning of what's the best planting season, I thought we would talk about planting some things today, or at least the idea of, of what we're going to get some ideas for what we're going to want to be planting. We have talked uh, a few times in the past few weeks about trees, and I do want to uh, talk a bit about trees, uh, maybe not necessarily how to plant them, uh, but why should we plant them? What are some reasons for planting trees? Uh, I guess we could call this little segment the... Uh, trees and their benefits or the many values of trees. There are a lot of reasons why we would want to plant trees. So I want to make a case for them because, uh, you know, if I think I've mentioned this before, most gardeners who, uh, you know, have been gardening for a while, if you're new to gardening, you need some tips. Most gardeners will tell you that if, if you're just starting your landscape, if it's something, if you're getting into some new things, start with the trees first, particularly because, of course, they 
have a longer growing time uh, to reach their maturity. As a matter of fact, many trees that you and I plant today, we won't live to see them mature. And that old garden adage uh, holds true that the real gardener, the true gardener, understands that he is planting a tree under which its shade he may never sit. Because things like oaks and and some maples, they take a while to really reach their maturity. So trying to bring shade into the landscape or uh, shade against the house so you can uh, keep it cooler and warmer (laughs) during the uh, respective seasons, doing that, uh, we're really planting for the next generation. It's our children or maybe our children's children who will enjoy the full benefits of these trees. But it's something that stretches across time. We may plant it here in the uh, early part of 2020, 2023, maybe 2024. And for 60 years, we may watch that thing grow. Uh, And of course, that leads our grandchildren into enjoying the benefits there. I think I've shared with you a story before. There's a planting in a little village uh where i grow up where i where i live and um uh, this village was started decades ago at around the turn of the 20th century and my grandmother told me that some of these very large old oak trees they were tall and big around you couldn't even reach your arms around them they're so big now but she had said that her father had helped plant those and so that shows us that We can enjoy these trees that even our ancestors have planted. And one day, we will be the ancestors who had planted the trees that future generations will enjoy. But other than maybe casting shade, that, of course, opens up a world of gardening possibilities. Having some shade, you can incorporate plants that otherwise would not be able to grow in the full hot sun. So having shade from a gardener's perspective is, 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 uh, is essential, but it's also encouraging because we can add diversity and variety to our landscapes. Um, so other than the shade, what are some benefits that trees provide us? Well, there's some good research. The uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture says that the net cooling effect of a young, healthy tree is equivalent to 10 room-sized air conditioners operating 20 hours a day. Now, that's just a young, healthy tree, not necessarily a very old, mature tree. But even young trees can provide a cooling effect. I mean, 20 room-sized air conditioners, uh, I'm sorry, 10 room-sized air conditioners operating 20 hours a day. That's a lot of cooling factor. And so you can experience, uh, it's so dramatic. We at my landscape, we have a variety of, of areas, very sunny areas that are like pastures almost. And then, of course, there's pockets of woodland. And even in the middle of summer, if you're working out in the sunny areas, maybe I'm tending my vegetable garden, but then I retreat into the wood line. It's amazing the temperature drop just by being out of the sun and, of course, being in the shade of these trees. It's almost like natural air conditioning. Uh, Let's see here. A a real estate survey, a national real estate survey says that trees can boost the market value of your home by an average of six or seven percent. Now, that's single digits, but considering the value of homes 
now in this current market, six or seven percent can be quite a lot of zeros. So, of course, that comes from the real estate industry, which is nice to know because they're the ones selling the houses. They would know uh, what people are looking for and how much something can go for. And I'm glad that uh, some of these national surveys are in, including not just renovating the kitchen or renovating the bathrooms, but it's also including the landscape and the value that that adds. We talked a few weeks ago about boosting your home value by landscaping, and you can check out that episode for more details on how landscape can increase your home value at NewSouthernGarden.com. Now, landscaping, especially with trees, can increase property values as much as 20%. Now, that comes from uh, the Management Information Services. So again, another statistic showing that you can increase the property value, not just the home value, but the property itself. Uh, Let's see, another thing from the National Wildlife Federation. Of course, that's a big name in uh, wildlife uh, information and services. But they say that there are between 60 and 200 That's a big gap, but still 60 and 200 million spaces along our city streets where trees could be planted. Now, this translates to the potential to absorb 33 million more tons of carbon dioxide every year and save $4 billion in energy costs. Now, this right here is important because we're, you know, we hear a lot about the extra carbon in the air. Of course, we use a lot of things that emit carbon like cars and uh, fossil fuels, Uh, but trees take in carbon. You know, we breathe in oxygen and release carbon dioxide, whereas trees take in carbon dioxide and release oxygen. So, of course, if we had more trees and, of course, if we filled the 60 to 200 million spaces along our city streets with trees, if we planted these areas with trees, wouldn't our air be fresher and cleaner? (laughs) Trees are uh, essential for human life. They really are. Instead of cutting them down, we ought to be planting more of them. Uh, Let's see, another statistic from the U.S. Forest Service says trees properly placed around buildings can reduce air conditioning needs by 30% and can save 20 to 50% in energy used for heating. So right there, we can see that in the summer, uh, trees and the shade can help keep the house a little cooler so we're not using our air conditioners as much. And then in the wintertime, they can help absorb heat and just keep an uh, ambient heat around your home, reducing your cost on energy by maybe 20 to 50 percent. Trees can be a stimulus to economic development. In commercial retail areas with trees, uh, that, that makes it more attractive to shoppers. Apartments rent more quickly and tenants stay longer. And space in a wooded setting is more valuable to sell or rent. Now that's according to the Arbor Day Foundation. Of course, the Arbor Day Foundation encourages folks to plant trees. If you donate some, a little money to them, they'll give you a bundle of trees. Now they're small, little bare root plants, but they are working to help encourage people to plant more trees. And this is something that I learned even when I was at university studying horticulture, is that by planting trees in retail areas or particularly around um, housing units, uh, apartments and whatnot, that the tenants do tend to stay longer, and they tend to uh, enjoy the place they live even more. Now, you may or may not live in an apartment Uh, But if you're planting trees around your home, then that would encourage you also to uh, live better and enjoy where you stay even more. All right, one more statistic from the uh, Texas 
A&M University says, in laboratory research, visual exposure to settings with trees has produced significant recovery from stress within five minutes. And that is indicated by changes in blood pressure and muscle tension. Of course, that comes from, like I said, the uh, Texas A&M University. And the idea that trees promote our uh, mental health is has some really good research behind it. I think several years ago, we talked on this program about the changes that trees can provide us. And there's this new new term, a new vitamin. I remember, I, I, I don't remember how many years ago it was we talked about this, but I mentioned the term vitamin N. You know, there's vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin B12, vitamin B6, all these vitamins. But now the... Um, particularly more like psychologists and uh, sociologists maybe, are talking about vitamin N. And the N stands for nature. Just being submerged in nature, some people call it taking a nature bath for 30 minutes a day, walking a trail, maybe walking around your garden for 30 minutes a day, uh, maybe enjoying one of your local parks or uh, recreation centers. That is uh, the nature trail. Enjoying that for just 30 minutes a day can have dramatic changes on your mental health and your physical physical health, of course, like this Texas A&M study, it changes your blood pressure, changes muscle tension. And so there are many physical benefits and mental benefits to having trees nearby, enjoying trees. Think of this, you know, I used to work in a a big city south of here in Atlanta. And there are trees in Atlanta. Atlanta is a fairly green city, but you know, cities in general are basically um, concrete and steel blockades. You go into a city and you're surrounded by concrete and steel and other building materials which are hard and rigid and of course they don't change. They don't grow. They don't put out beautiful leaves, beautiful flowers, beautiful fall color. But by having trees submerged in these kind of situations, uh, there's all kinds of benefits. There are many values to having trees. And so, of course, one of those things, though, that is daunting about trees is that uh, we may hesitate to plant them because we know they're going to be large. We know they're going to be sort of consuming to some degree. You don't have to go with oaks and maples and poplars that do get hundreds, at least uh, tens of feet, 60, 100 feet tall. Uh, You can stick with smaller trees, and that is part of good design, of course. We talk about designing with trees and using them wisely. But the idea is that no matter what kind of tree it is, no matter what uh, size it may eventually be, there are many benefits to having these things in the landscape. And I hope that you consider this fall and winter a good time to plant some trees in your landscape. When we get back from this break, I'll talk about a few trees I haven't mentioned in a while and uh, tell you why you may want to check those out. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share 
whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So gang, today on New Southern Garden, we've been talking about trees and their the values that they provide your landscape, and not just your landscape, but your personal health. Of course, uh, trees casting shade or around the house can help keep it cooler in the summer and keep your house warmer in the winter by trapping heat uh, around that building, and that will cut your costs of heating and air conditioning. I mean, uh, also, the tree is sort of the air conditioner and air, air filter for your landscape and the air you breathe outside because, of course, they take in carbon dioxide and they release um, oxygen. So that is going to keep air crisper and, and, and nicer. Now, of course, if you're in a city or very suburban areas, you, it may be hard to track those benefits. But there are some studies being done, even locally, uh, around some drive-throughs at uh, fast food restaurants on increasing plant material and using certain plants to try to clean up the air. Because apparently, um, when I was talking to these local folks, they say that the average idle time for a customer in a drive-thru is about five minutes. So uh, sitting in a drive-thru for five minutes, just releasing the carbon, uh, are these plants being planted strategically around the drive-thru's landscape going to help? Hopefully we'll get some more information on that as that study concludes. But uh, trees, of course, provide uh, mental health wonderfulness <laughs> being uh, submerged in nature and around trees and plants in general uh, is something people are calling vitamin in for nature they can help reduce stress levels and of course they can give significant changes in blood pressure and muscle tension maybe giving you a little more relaxed feeling if we separate ourselves from nature uh, our, our mental status is, is going to just go crazy so let's get into nature more but other than all the benefits trees give, let's talk about a few more details. I'll bring up a few trees you may want to look into uh, this fall as we get into planting season and, of course, as we get into um, uh, fall and winter where it's just a wonderful time to plant trees. The air temperature is cooler. Plants don't have leaves on them. They're not actively growing. But the ground is warm, and that stimulates root growth and development, so they get established faster, making it easier for you not to have to water so much. Trees and their shapes. Let's talk about different shapes of trees. Of course, uh, trees do come in different shapes and sizes, uh, so you've got to place trees around your landscape accordingly. If you have small, tight areas, you may not need large, broad trees. But with that being said, there is a columnar effect. So for tight areas, look for trees that have a column shape that go tall, but maybe not get very wide. We'll talk about a few of those. Um, let's see, there's cone-shaped plants. Now these are plants that have a broad base and come up to a tip, to a point, uh, where, of course, uh, you have a, a lot of conifers and things like the arborvitaes and maybe the uh, eastern red cedars. Those are cone-shaped plants, and they tend to not be 
too domineering, uh, at least with canopy, because they don't have a broad canopy. They have a very narrow canopy and a broad base. Then, of course, you have globular-shaped trees. These things may be like maples and oaks that have, you know, that classic tree, uh, that classic tree look where you have a stem. I call it the lollipop look, where you have a stem like a lollipop stick, and right on top is a glob shape of foliage and canopy. And, of course, those are wonderful trees to have and they're relatively easy to find. Most trees have that globular shape. Then there's the horizontally spreading, a tree that might be very broad. It still has a nice straight stem uh, trunk, but it can be limbed up, and you notice the limbs spread left and right. Some of the oaks do that as well, and maybe some maples. And then, of course, there's the weeping, the weeping shape, the weeping form. Now, probably one of the most... uh, well-known is weeping willow. Think of that kind of tree where you have a uh, stem, a straight stem, and then branches that billow over and spill back downwards uh, towards the ground. Now, that can give you a nice graceful look. Um, There are a number of trees, ornamental trees, that are weeping nowadays. Many redbud trees are weeping trees. There are some um, conifers that are weeping, deodore cedars, uh, certain deodore cedars, which are a good cedar for the south. They're the most drought-tolerant cedar. But there are some forms that are weeping, and that can just add a wonderful variety uh, to your landscape. Now, some specific trees, I, I do believe I talked about red maples not too long ago, but I want to mention red maples again because uh, some of them are can be quite large, sometimes up to 60 feet, but for the landscape value, it may be half that, 30, maybe 40 feet tall, uh, and of course, they'll be broad too. They are a great place to uh, plant a shade garden underneath, and they provide many Uh, attractions throughout the year. The red maple is one of the first trees to bloom. So in early spring, you get these tiny red buds that are just bursting against the tree's smooth gray bark. It's very attractive. That's actually how red maples get their name, is by the color of their flower. Now, the flower is quite showy, but it doesn't last for very long. Because after that, the leaves will start to emerge and you get this beautiful, brilliant green color. But don't worry, because if you need fall color, red maples are at the top of the list for fall color. And of course, they will give you brilliant reds. Some are orange, some are yellow, depending on the the variety that you're growing or looking into. Be sure to check out what color its fall color may turn into. There's one called Brandywine Maple, which is just a rich red maroon almost it's very attractive in the later part or rather in the later part of the year in fall time now uh the oaks i'm going to mention a very large oak but she is the queen of our forest this is a native oak of course red maple is a native maple uh but white oak is a native tree it's one of the predominant oak species in our forests And yes, they get large, 60 to 100 feet or more. But I will tell you this, if I planted a red, uh, sorry, if I planted a white oak this weekend, I would not live long enough to see that 60 to 100 feet. It takes them decades, generations to get that kind of size. But I believe that the future generations that follow us will be able to stand underneath the 
white oak that you uh, that you planted and enjoy its majesty because white oaks, the queen of our forest, are truly majestic. They have thick branches. They offer that rounded outline uh, of a canopy that will just complement any landscape. But remember, they're going to get large. I would not plant a white oak too close to your house. Uh, we have a lot of oaks around our place that were planted here by nature, they've been here, have been there forever, um, but they are kind of close to the house. I mean, I was, we were kind of blessed that the people who built the house a couple of uh, decades ago, that they left a lot of these old trees because they do keep our house cooler. We walk in uh, in the summer, and the house, even though the air may be off during the day, the air is so much cooler. So keep white oak in mind, the queen of our forest. She is strong, she is sturdy, and she will outlive anybody who plants it. (laughs) Now, what about some uh, kind of fast-growing but beautiful trees? These sort of have a weeping habit. The river birch. Now, river birch sometimes gets a a bad name in a way. They are Uh, fast-growing. Their roots are kind of like a maple in that they're shallowly rooted. Uh, They may even run across the top of the soil. Uh, I like to plant underneath the river birches because the river birch is going to have, uh, like I said, shallow roots. But if we build up beds around them, we don't necessarily see the shallow roots because we're mulching. And of course, we have other plants underneath them. But they do like wet areas. They don't have to grow in wet areas, but if you have a wet area, they'll grow on the edge of a pond, they'll grow on the edge of a river, Uh, and one of the key attractions to river birch is the thick layer, thin layers of bark that peel away. They peel away like paper, and so even once fall has uh, dropped all the leaves, the river birch still has something attractive along that peeling bark. Now, the leaf fall color is fairly decent. It's usually a nice yellow, but because we go through a summer that tends to be hot and dry, I just know that the river birch tends to lose its leaves a little early. It tends to lose its leaves a little early, and uh, you may think it's dying, but it's not. It's just going dormant because of the heat and because of the lack of moisture. Uh, It's kind of stressed, but still a good plant, and it kind of provides that weeping habit that is so... um, Uh, so different and so unusual. Well, gang, when we get back from this break, we'll talk a little more about trees, but I do want to talk about wildflowers and growing wildflowers in your lawn. Hang on tight. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Nathan. 
Well, gang, before the break, we were talking about trees here on New Southern Garden. And if you're just joining us, uh, just know that there are many benefits to growing trees. There are many uh, values that trees can bring to your landscape. And we did talk about that earlier, and we were talking about a few particular trees that you may want to look into and maybe incorporate them into your landscape somehow. If you've missed any part of today's program, uh, it's easy to find it online at NewSouthernGarden.com and on your favorite podcasting app. So be sure to catch up uh, after we get done today. Now, with trees in mind, or with trees on our mind, we talked about the red maple, which is a great native. We talked about the white oak, which is a great native. Both of those are larger trees. But a more ornamental tree that is um, maybe mid-sized is going to be the the river birch. Uh, now, I want to talk about a tree that we don't normally, I don't think I've mentioned it before on the program, uh, but it's an interesting tree, and it does come with many uh, traits, and that is the linden tree, or any of the linden trees. There's many of them. Uh, there's a couple that are native to uh, North America that you could incorporate. Uh, the little leaf linden, big leaf linden, I believe they call it commonly. And then there's a, more of a European linden. It's a heart-shaped linden. Uh, it's called Tilia cordata, and cordata means heart-shaped. So the leaf itself is a nice, uh, a nice, almost perfect heart, like when you're a kid trying to learn your shapes. It, it almost looks just like that. But the lindens are best known as a shade tree. They eventually will be large, but they respond well to pruning. So if you need to uh, keep it smaller, if you want to, to do something strange with it, like make a topiary out of it, you can do that. I actually am using them uh, to create uh, an alley, which of course is a double row of trees, and they their canopies will grow together, but I will keep them only about 10 to 12 foot tall. I won't allow them to get to their full size and we will just have this beautiful long um, alleyway of trees that we can plant underneath and enjoy a stroll that's about 100 feet long and uh, it's young but it's coming along. But the linden produce these small flowers in the spring and those spring flowers are very attractive to bees and other pollinators. And you do need a number of plants that bloom early, like the red maple, like the linden, because that is a good food source for the beginning of the year, for the beginning of the life of your uh, little baby uh, pollinators that are going to be emerging and hungry and looking to eat. Uh, so the linden, of course, is a good plant to have for wildlife, um, but for the landscape value, they have this... Um, nice green color. It's hard to describe what kind of green it is. When the leaves first emerge, they're a limey color. And then, of course, they get a little darker, uh, a, a little more mature. Uh, but if you go with the heart-shaped linden, you've got a really cool shape leaf as well. Then those leaves, as we get into autumn, they turn a nice yellow. Uh, it's, it's a nice golden yellow. Uh, sometimes, if it's a hot and dry summer, which it usually is, they, they may lose their leaves early, but they do tend, at least these young ones that I have planted at, in our landscape, they, they do tend to give you a bit of yellow, even if they start to uh, drop their leaves earlier than fall. But the linden. It's something I don't think I've ever talked about, and I think it's a tree worth looking into. Again, if you let them to go to their own device, uh, they will get large and provide a nice shade for you. It's just something different than a maple, something different than an oak tree. Now, how about a flowering tree? Uh, I don't really like 
flowering cherry trees uh, because, of course, they do struggle with the heat and humidity of our summers, uh, the dryness of our summers. They usually drop all their leaves, and they really only look good in the landscape maybe three to four months uh, once they start blooming in spring to the time summer gets here and it's so hot and so dry. They start dropping their leaves, so they don't really look good. A lot of people think they, they're dead in the summer, but they're not. They're just sleeping. But crab apples are a good replacement for that. Now, I know what you're thinking. Crab apples are messy trees. If you know crab apple, of course, it is an apple, a true apple. It's in the malus group of plants, which includes all the apples, and they do produce little small fruits, which, of course... Uh, d- could drop to the ground. But if you're planting for wildlife, then crabapple is a definite plant you need because they are super attractive to many, uh, many forms of wildlife, from birds to mammals. Yes, deer would love your crab apples. So if you're trying to not attract deer, then maybe don't use them. Or you can use a variety that has an insignificant fruit. Uh, some of the ornamental varieties, there's one called Profusion Crab Apple and Prairie Fire Crab Apple. They have some great color foliage, some great fall color foliage, and the berries, or not berries, the fruits, the apples are very small. They're much reduced and diminutive so that if they fall to the ground, they just blend in with the earth. They don't turn mushy and attract the, uh, well, you know, if you've ever been under a crab apple, you've probably seen yellow jackets and wasp. They are attracted to those sweet fruits too. Uh, but the smaller the fruit on these landscape variety crab apples, the better off you will be if you don't need the crab apples. Now, some people come to the nursery, of course, uh, where I am throughout the week at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, and they're looking for crab apples to consume themselves. Of course, they usually are tart and uh, not a sweet apple, but you may remember growing up, I remember uh, not my grandmother, but someone who was like a grandmother to me had a bunch of crab apples. We would go pick them, harvest them. She would make little fruit pies out of them. And so there are some benefits from the edible side of crab apples as well. But of course, the main attraction to crab apples, they're a smaller tree. They bloom early in the season, just like apples and pears do. They usually bloom before they put out their leaves. So on these naked stems, you have these nice, uh, sometimes white, sometimes pink, like with the prairie fire and the profusion, it's a rich pink flower. And it's a good alternative to the ornamental cherries, which just can't handle our summers. Crab apples barrel right through. Uh, you Because they're apples, you may get some spots on the leaves. You don't necessarily have to uh, treat for them like you would maybe your uh, edible apples. But with that being said, there are a few drawbacks. But otherwise, you have great blossoms in the spring. You get those little berry, uh, little fruits. They're not berries, they're apples. Get the fruits around the time that the plant is dropping its leaves and having great fall color. They're just a great small tree to really enjoy and look for in your landscape. It's something different. I don't see a lot of crab apples in the landscape much anymore. So gang, with all that being said, I've given you a few, maybe about five plants to look into, maybe consider installing in your landscape. But I just want to wrap up the tree discussion here with the fact that trees are beneficial. 
And they're not just beneficial to wildlife. They're not just beneficial to nature, of course. They're beneficial to us. They're beneficial to our homes. They're beneficial to our well-being and cleaner, purer air, if you will. So be sure to think about during this fall planting season and all the way through winter, remember, you can plant trees or shrubs any time of the year in the south as long as the ground is not frozen and we rarely have frozen ground down here so you can plant these wonderful things that we call trees continuously (laughs) this fall and winter now another thing that we may be thinking about doing is installing some perennial plants installing some plants that come back year after year some of these plants we're going to talk about um, are going to also reseed themselves so when a plant reseeds itself you can think of it as a nuisance but if it's a beneficial plant you can think of it as a promotion because you're getting more plants by allowing these plant seeds to grow and take root and we're talking about wildflowers i want to talk about wildflowers and growing a wildflower Uh, area in your landscape just like using trees helps to provide wildlife and uh, helps to benefit nature of course planting wild flowers can be wonderful too and I have a short little story I want to uh, that I found that I want to uh, share with you it starts out one veteran gardener conducted an experiment he simply left one area of his lawn alone to see what would happen He didn't mow or cultivate. He just let nature take its course. You can imagine his delight when he ended up with a gorgeous wildflower meadow. He shared his secrets. Frankly, he just didn't mow about a quarter acre of lawn. First came glorious golden dandelions. Next, in early spring, hundreds of tiny bluets appeared. Violets appeared next. The second year, the lawn area gave forth a purplish haze for several weeks during spring because of those violets. Then lupins appeared with 8 to 10 inch purple bloom spikes for dramatic displays. Then hawkweed sprouted. What seemed to be dandelions at first Uh, were 10-inch tall stalks with yellow blooms. They flourished. Next, daisies bloomed in June. Their fern-like foliage matured, supporting bright white ox-eye blossoms with golden yellow centers. Red and white clover appeared, beckoning bees to a harvest of pollen. And by July, scattered black-eyed Susans burst forth. Their radiant yellow petals surrounding dark centers brightened the unmowed waving grass, And finally, asters sprouted, cascading white and even purple-hued blooms throughout the fall. Perhaps the richest reward was the time saved. He used it to enjoy this natural wildflower world, a colorful bouquet in his own backyard. It grows on to this day, glorious and untended naturally. And that is a beautiful story, I thought, for the... uh, a case, a cause to grow wildflowers. All this veteran gardener did was leave a small area of unmowed lawn and let nature do its work. You know, mowing, I do a lot of mowing, but I have left a couple of strips, a couple of areas in our large grassy spots for wildflowers. And it's amazing what happens when you don't mow your lawn. My wife says she doesn't mind the long grass, the tall grass. She likes that look. So that makes it easier work for me. Rather than have to mow large areas every week, I can leave some of these areas in tall grass or long grass and see what comes up. And 
my experience is not exactly the same as this veteran gardener. I can tell he's not growing here in the South with some of the plants that popped up. But yes, most recently, the asters were blooming with those white flowers and purple flowers. And then, of course, in the spring, we saw the oxeye oxeye daisies, those white petals with yellow, rich yellow, buttery centers. And of course, there's a number of other plants. Now, in some of these areas, I'll admit that I have uh, sort of spurred on this flowering. I have planted some wildflower seeds. Uh, I haven't taken the, the opportunity to plant individual plants, but by purchasing a small, relatively cheap bag, I think it was $10 for uh, about a pound of seed and filler, you know, spreading material to spread the seed with. But for about $10, I was able to increase the color. And we've had all kinds of things blooming in these strips over summer and even now. Even now, I did mow it down one time to try to cut back on some of the grass seed heads. Uh, and you know what? flowers came up after I mowed it just one time. With a meadow, you do have to mow it once a year, and by doing so, uh, you will drop the little seed heads of your beneficial wildlife, wildflower flowers. They will fall to the ground, and then they'll germinate next year. And so I just thought this story was representative of what you could do in your landscape. It's a surprise. It's a little party, a surprise party every spring, every summer, every fall to see what new plant is cropping up next. Uh, talking about the violets, there's an area down in a low spot, kind of a valley that I usually mow, but I don't mow it in the spring because the violets pop up and usually they're a weed, but in this area, they are beautiful. And you know, when I walk through it, I hear buzzing of bees. Uh, A lot of pollinators are going for those violets and some insects use violets as a host plant. So when we get back from this break, well, we'll wrap up the show and talk more about what you can do and expect if you try to grow a wildflower garden. Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. So, gang, before the break, we were talking about wildflowers and sort of creating a, uh, a cause for keeping wildflowers. Main, really, you don't have to maintain them, but to grow them. Uh, they are a great, interesting group of plants. And, of course, um, I'll give you some reasons why we may want to grow them. But I thought about over the break that right now in some of the wildflower areas we have, I haven't sown these. They've come up naturally. I just leave the spot unmowed. And that encourages them to grow, to bloom, uh, to self-seed themselves, to propagate themselves naturally. And right now, we've got this mixture of these pale purple asters. 
and goldenrod, which is that buttery sunlike flower that uh, a lot of people think gives you allergies, but uh, it's really the ragweed, uh, which you would not be able to you would not be able to really see unless you got up close to its flower. But the goldenrod is a great plant. We'll talk about that in a middle in a minute. But I did want to mention what I'm enjoying right now in my landscape, and I haven't had to plant them, I haven't touched them, but they are providing so much color. I like the way one author puts this when he talks about the advantages of wildflowers. He says wildflowers have natural advantages over cultivated ones. They're naturally hardy. They're usually self-propagating and almost as indestructible as weeds. (laughs) Better yet, they provide the beautiful answer to the question of what to do with those areas plagued with inhospitable soil. And that is so true, because many of our our wildflowers are growing on roadsides and ditches. And those asters and uh, goldenrod that I mentioned at my place is growing on a steep slope that I really couldn't even mow if I wanted to, or I shouldn't. I'd probably make a tumble down the hill with my mower. Uh, And it's rocky. It's super rocky soil. A lot of our garden plants may not thrive in that condition, but these wildflowers sure do. So for areas that are plagued with inhospitable soil, as the author writes here, uh, for areas that are rocky, for areas that aren't lush and, and fertile, maybe try wildflowers. Now, here's some tips for growing some wildflowers. The first thing we want to do is select healthy plant material. Of course, that's always uh, one of the benefits of uh, one, one of the things we need to be looking for whenever we purchase plants. Uh, but you do want to give those plants the same kind of soil where they grow in their native habitat. Now, what you can do, of course, you can purchase wildflower plants. You can buy black-eyed Susans and daisies, uh, coneflowers and whatnot. These are all uh, hardy perennial wildflowers. Uh, but if you have an area like I have several areas where they're already growing and you just want to move them around. You can dig them out and now is an appropriate time to do that. Dig them out and transplant them to an area where you may have a little more control as far as where they're placed and where they're growing. Uh, If you can't get to planting your plants right away, you can dig them out and put them in a shallow trench and cover their roots with soil just as a temporary, we call this healing in. And healing in plants is just a temporary thing for maybe a few months uh, until you can get to your projects but right now if you see some of the fall flowering asters and the goldenrods and you want to move them around your landscape uh, you can kind of heal them in if you'd like to and then of course when you set them out just plant them at the same uh, depth as which they were growing uh, once you pulled them out and I would encourage to you know pull out crabgrass in these planted areas pull out competing weeds because even though these will compete well with weeds, uh, trying to get them a start, give them a good beginning by reducing competition, pulling weeds out is going to be critical as well. Now, one other way, and this is something that I did in some areas, was I purchased seed. And I would encourage you to sow your wildflower seed now because many of the wildflowers like echinacea and and maybe rutabecchia to some point, uh, but depending on the type of wildflower you want to grow, some of those plants do need to go through a winter, or rather, some of those seeds need to go through a winter exposed on the earth or planted just shallowly below and get that cool uh, and moist 
air and moist soil that we're going to have all winter. And that is what we call stratification. I believe we talked about this a few weeks ago, and you can check that episode out uh, or show on NewSouthernGarden.com or your favorite podcasting apps. But going uh, seeds going through this cool and moist period we call winter is going to stimulate them in the spring to start germinating, and you will have better germination because of it. So go ahead and find the seed packs or seed mixes that you like to have next spring and go ahead and sow them in your areas. Now, we've talked about a few plants already, but of course, there are delightful daisies. Now, we've talked about Shasta daisies. They could be considered wildflower, but they're not a wildflower. They're a highly, uh, highly hybridized plant, uh, so they have these big showy flowers. But some of the small, delightful daisies that you see blooming in roadsides and ditches, they could be a wonderful addition to your wildflower area. I did briefly mention black-eyed Susans, those black-eyed beauties. Now, they, of course, uh, come in a variety of things if you're looking for them in the nurseries or if you're looking for them as seeds. Uh, be sure to uh, know if you're growing a certain variety, what it's going to look like, maybe how tall it's going to be, because, of course, plant breeders have been working with some of these things. But black-eyed Susans readily reseed themselves. So even if you have black-eyed Susan somewhere, just snip off some of those seed heads, sprinkle the seed out in your planting area, and they will be growing in no time once spring gets going. Or if you have a friend, a gardening friend, or a neighbor who has black-eyed black -eyed Susans, uh, you can snag some of those seed heads. Just be sure to ask for permission. And if this uh, friend of yours know how reseeding, how uh, heavy of a reseeder black-eyed Susans are, they will be happy <laughs> to share some seed with you. Of course, goldenrod. Um, mentioned that's looking great in my wildflower areas now, and it's a good contender. Now, uh, goldenrod can be a bit of a thug, and they don't really do much of their blooming until late in the summer or early fall, uh, so be sure to put them in a spot where they're not going to compete too much with some of the other beauties that you want to add. And remember violets. You can probably find some wild violets growing in a shady side along the edge of your woods uh, or maybe a friend's house, uh, but of course, you can cultivate those in shady areas where most of these want bright sun. The violets have no problem, no problem growing under shade. Uh, let's see, asters. We mentioned the asters. Asters reseed readily as well. So if you happen to be walking somewhere and you notice that there's some aster plants going to seed, maybe snag some of those seed head and creep those out. And of course, they're a super late bloomer, so they're a great pollen source, a great nectar food source, rather, for butterflies and uh, hummingbirds maybe to some degree but any pollinator that's looking for a feast at the late part of summer sunflowers come in a variety of, of plants uh, types if you're going for a sunflower don't go for the annual sunflower right like the sunflowers are the big heads that produce those tasty seeds go for a sunflower that is more of a herbaceous perennial there are many hardy like swamp sunflowers. I do love those. Now, they're large plants in one season. They will grow right well above your head. But while they are doing their thing, they just look outstanding. Well, gang, I hope that today we've encouraged you to do some planting, particularly adding trees to your landscape and letting the letting the lawn go and encouraging wild flowers. If you don't mow it, 
the wildflowers will show up on their own. Well, gang, for New Southern Garden and WRWH 93.9 FM, my name's Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.